Hi, I'm Simon Hill, and you're watching Purebred Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. Hi, I'm Daniel Mullen, former Adelaide United player and Asian Champions League winner with Western Sydney Wanderers. When it comes to any of my soccer needs, I do my shopping here at Soccer Locker. An Australian-owned and operated business, the store is located at Shop 5 of 181 to 183 Grange Road, Finden. Founded in 2017, Soccer Locker was introduced into the market to fulfil all the soccer-related needs of Australians, providing a huge range of quality clothing and equipment, ranging from soccer balls, team kits, goalkeeper gear, accessories and much more. Recently arrived stock also includes stunning retro kits from some of our favourite past eras as fans of the world game. Soccer Locker is a specialist in Premier Range Boots, Adidas and Puma, goalkeeper gear and licensed merchandise. Visit us online at www.soccerlocker.com.au with free delivery Australia-wide. So get shopping now at our Finland store, open from 10am to 5.30pm from Monday to Friday, and open Saturdays from 9am to 3pm. G'day guys, and welcome to the Pure Red Reds Adelaide United Fan TV. I'm your host, Ellis Gelios, coming to you with a preview of our game against Sydney FC on Sunday, and I'm thrilled by a man that played 44 games, scored five goals, playing in midfield for Adelaide United from 2006 to 2009. I speak of Diego Walsh. Diego, welcome to the show. It's a very strange world we're living in these days. Uh, Obviously, you're now based in Phoenix, Arizona. Talk to us about how you're getting on at the moment in this very strange period. Um, Good to be here, Ellis. Thanks for having me. Um, Really, anytime... um, you know, I'm talking to, to you guys about Adelaide United. It really brings a lot of joy to my heart. So it's, it's really nice to be here. Um, COVID's been an interesting year. Uh, you know, for me, it's, it's actually been very good. Um, and uh, here, here in the States, things, things got a little bit crazy. Uh, nowadays, where I live, things are pretty much back to normal. Uh, yesterday, this, the governor actually... Uh, stopped mandating face masks. So now we can go to any public uh, place or even restaurants, gyms now without any face masks. So so things are really getting back to normal here. Amazing to hear. Well, we've got so much to discuss. Sydney FC, just before we get into anything, is uh, a club that I'm sure you'll have fond memories over considering uh, the nature of your debut and uh, how amazing that was, Diego. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into the interview. But uh, we will jump straight into things. So uh, the game is against Sydney FC to 5.40 p.m. kickoff on Sunday evening at Cooper's Stadium. Uh, make sure you tuned in to Fox Sports or the KO Sports app if you aren't attending. No squads at the time of filming, but all eyes will be on whether... Our star striker, Tommy Urich, will be named in the team after missing so many consecutive games. And there's really no explanation for it. Uh, Carl Viet coming out last week and, and stating that there's actually no injury there. Uh, he's just feeling a bit uncomfortable and uh, not sh- not too sure about the state of things right now with Tommy Urich. So that's really a sticking point that uh, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled on. Now, first cab off the rank, Diego, has to be the Reds' latest signing Announced just yesterday, Spanish midfielder Juan Day, yet another player we can proudly claim of the Hispanic diaspora. 
regarding Adelaide United and obviously such an amazing contingent of Latin American players that we've had. Uh, he comes into stock our midfield depth. You might not know a lot about him. Diego is a 34-year-old defensive midfielder. But what you would know is that uh, a team that has plenty of youth filling key positions uh, is always benefited massively by experience coming on board, particularly when we're talking about potential title pushes, as we are currently in our case, given uh, the form the team has been in, Diego. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, any time you can bring in some, some good experience, uh, especially from overseas, I think, I think that makes a huge difference, you know. Um, and, and I think Adelaide United has had some, some really good success with players that have come on from Spain and, and also South America. You know, there's quite a few Brazilian players that have come through the club. So that's, that's fantastic. Absolutely, it is. And uh, we will move forward. So Adelaide United's captain, Stefan Mork, who's currently filling a role that you played throughout your time here, Diego. He hasn't been short of making big statements so far this season. Recently, though, he has been playing very well and uh, leading by example. However, uh, his most uh, recently sent a warning out to all A-League sides by suggesting in the media this week, quote, we know we're going to score in every game. Uh, I don't think it was meant as much of a muscle flex, Diego, but is this something that's needed from the captain? Uh, from your playing days, is this something that would have motivated you as a player to hear this or would it have somewhat of a bit of an opposite effect? I, I think any time a, a captain is outspoken and it's coming from his heart, I think it, it definitely helps the team. You know, it, hel it helps the morale. It helps the confidence. So if, if he was one of my captains, I would really, really, really enjoyed uh, hearing that statement. There you go, folks. Uh, Stefan Mork not getting much wrong at the moment, both on and off the pitch. Uh, we will move forward. We haven't beaten Sydney FC in the league at home in several years, Diego. Is this a burden that players would carry uh, going into this game? Uh, would they carry it with them or not? Just going off of your experience, you played here during a time where we couldn't beat Melbourne Victory to save ourselves uh, over those years that uh, probably from 2008 onwards that, that you would remember, um, unfortunately. Is it a burden, uh, an unfavourable record uh, that, that players can hold on to privately? Um. You know, I, th I think that's, that's not the case. I think, um, you know, a big part of the game, if not the biggest, is, is the mental, right? And uh, if, if, the, if we get the mental right, everything else falls into place. And to, to, to hold on to, to, um, to this idea that, man, we, we haven't beaten these guys in such a long time, to me, that doesn't really make any sense. You know, we, we take it one, one game at a time, and it doesn't matter who we play against. If the form is good, if, if the mental is right, physically we're ready to go, you know, there shouldn't be an issue whatsoever. I think everyone will be very, very pleased to hear you say that. Uh, just moving along, we uh, we saw Sydney FC were absolutely dominant in their last match against Perth Glory. They were extremely unlucky not to win, having created an outrageous number of goal-scoring opportunities. Uh, from your experience, Diego, is that frustration easily channeled into becoming a motivating factor for players in the next game that they play? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, and. 
and if they create and you know and if and looking back at that game that's probably something that they really worked on this this week probably a lot of finishing a lot of combinations into the final third so you know that's something that Adelaide United would have to really be concerned and and really be prepared for most definitely and just on uh the topic of preparation uh They'll be missing their star defender, Ryan Grant, who picked up a suspension in their last game against Perth Glory. Uh, but uh, they've been given the luxury of having a home base here. Uh, they've travelled here directly from Perth. So they've been training the last two days at Campbelltown Stadium. Uh, how advantageous is this in your eyes, Diego, for an away side especially? And as you'll recall, uh, in the A-League, it's, it's always a case of travelling to the venue uh, or, or to the, the city that you're playing in probably the day before. Um, so not a big window to really prepare, considering sort of budget restraints and the way the league is set up here and how far away every every uh, city is from every other city, uh, particularly when you're going sort of western seaboard to the east. Um, so Sydney FC getting two days of training in whilst they're in Adelaide, that's uh, surely quite favourable, you would you'd agree? It would be quite favourable for us, for us, definitely. I think, uh, you know, I remember even playing with, with Wellington, taking that trip all the way to, uh, to Perth. It was, it was, I think it was broken down in two four-hour flights. So you're, you're in the air for, for eight hours plus the layover. So even travelling from Sydney to Perth, playing a game and then having to come back, travel back to Adelaide and only having two days to prepare – um, that's something that Adelaide could really benefit from and really, you know, put their foot on the gas and kind of really go at them and try to grind them throughout the whole game because, uh, you know, we could definitely get them in the second half once those legs start to get tired. Notice, folks, how he refers to Adelaide as us. How special is that? A man that played in three or four continents uh, referring to Adelaide United as us. We love to hear that, Diego. Uh, so just sticking on Sydney, uh, the opposition for Sunday, it's a significant club for you. I want to take you back to that uh, day on January the 14th, 2007. Uh, you've just come on to make your debut, having been at the club uh, a month training with the squad before putting pen to paper. You came on in the 68th minute, replacing our current manager, Carl Viet on that day. Uh, a free kick shortly thereafter gets deli- delivered into the box and the rest is absolutely history. That's your goal, my friend. Um, I want to just preface that moment by saying I was uh, in the Red Army on that day. Um, quite honestly, and, and this is as sincere as I'll ever be, um, literally a moment that uh, the crowd just absolutely erupted. Uh, I've seen... You know, every, every big event that's ever happened at Cooper Stadium, Diego, throughout our entire history. And there hasn't been many, considering that in that period of time, we hadn't been in great form uh, leading into that game. I think we'd only won one of our last seven. Um, and there was still real belief that we could do something in that in that season. We were a very strong side uh, under John Cosmina in 2006, 2007. Your first game, uh, what a moment for you. I'm sure one that you hold dear and, and you know, whenever... Uh, football is mentioned uh, in your circles. It's it's one of the moments that you'll always uh, that will always show up in your heart. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you you, you gave me the goosebumps a couple of times when you were describing the goal. Um, 
but yeah, what a special moment. What a special moment. And, and I really thought I had scored the goal uh, until I watched the video. And then the boys had told me that Fernando was actually the one that, that had the last touch. But um, uh, for me, it was, it was a really special moment because, um, you know, coming, coming over from the States, not having anybody here, um, and, and right after the game, I could, you know, I, I remember even Ange Costanzo just throwing, throwing some water at me and really the There's boys. Some great were, photos of that still available. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the boys really welcomed me big time. And I really, really felt, it really felt like home right away. Um, so, so looking back at that, at that game, it, it does, it brings a lot of uh, good emotions inside of me. That's for sure. I hadn't, that, that was the first season uh, where as a fan, I was attending games regularly and really getting into things. Uh, but I hadn't really uh, resonated with one player as yet. I was still trying to find who was that one player that I was going to actually go and get uh, at the back of my kit and, and really sort of say is my guy, um, so to speak. And it just so happened that the stars had aligned so perfectly. You doing that on your debut, being Brazilian, obviously, so, you know, we were so excited, particularly back then, uh, before the influx of South Americans here in Australia, to, to have someone of, you know, the Latin American mould, which you obviously came in. Uh, I was so excited and uh, really caught up in that moment that uh, I went to Soccer Central the next week uh, and, and got Diego 26 at the back of my Guernsey. That was the first ever Guernsey I had. So um, an absolutely special moment that was and uh, one that no one will ever forget. Um, really a genuine highlight from our, our early years, Diego. Um, thank you so much for touching on it. Uh, before we get into talking about your career, uh, I want a prediction out of you. Who wins this game on Sunday between Adelaide United and Sydney FC? Wow. Yeah, it, it, it seems like it's going to be a really special game. And uh, I'd like to say that I'm going to bring a little bit of luck to the boys. And, uh, and I think we'll, we'll, take, we'll take this one home going to be a nail biter but but it's going to be ours here's to hoping brother and hopefully uh it's something that can sort of replicate that amazing moment that we just watched back from 2007 uh diego you're looking as fresh as ever with uh some very well groomed hair there i'm loving the mane um we're going to get into finding out a lot more about the man behind the player that is Diego Walsh and what an interesting career it was that you had. Uh, firstly, I want to discuss, Diego, your introduction to football. Having been born in such a famous footballing city such as Santos in Brazil, uh, tell us about the grassroots phase of your career and how it led to you eventually moving to the United States. Yeah, great question. Um, I think looking back at my youth, um, I, I was probably playing at the best level that there was in the world. But it also, I have to say, I was playing futsal all the way to the age of 14. So I actually never played an outdoor game until I moved to the States um, when I started playing high school. But looking back when I was young, um, I was playing really competitive uh, futsal all the way up to the age of 14. So we, you know, I remember when I was 11, we won the Sao Paulo State Championship. We lost in the, the Brazilian, in the Brazilian Cup against the same team that we beat in our state championship. So um, futsal is the number one sport played in Brazil. And 
you can see why the Brazilian players are so technically gifted, you know, how they can play in, in such tight space and, and the decision-making is so quick. Um, but so looking back, it was just, you know, uh, the competition was, was really, really good. You know, you're playing 5v5 on a basketball court. You have to know how to use your body. You have to have awareness of space. You have to have awareness of how to make quick decisions. And that, that was really the, the root uh, of my kind of career because once I, I took that into, into my soccer career, um, everything kind of became easy in, in a way. Um, once, you, once you learn playing small-sided, uh, tight space against really, really good players, you, you learn quite a lot. Um, and, and not only that, you're also embedded in, in, that, in that culture where everybody just talks about soccer nonstop. You know, you're talking to your dad, you're learning from your friends, you're playing at school, you, op- you turn the TV on, you're watching soccer. So um, soccer is in our blood, you know, whereas in the, in the States, you know, the kids come, you know, they come to train. And even in Australia, sometimes they come to train, you know, two, three times a week. And that, that's all there is, you know, in, in our country, in Brazil, it's, uh, if you're a soccer player, it's it's all over you. It's a it's a part of who you are. Brilliant stuff. And futsal's obviously had a, a huge impact on your life. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what you got up to in a in a personal venture in New Zealand relating to futsal later on in the interview. But uh, that takes us to uh, Diego Walsh being pick number seven as a very young man in the first round MLS 2003 draft pick pick uh, being selected by Columbus Crew, where you registered 14 games, uh, scoring as well the goal of the year in that season. Uh, you then moved on to the Kansas City Wizards and Real Salt Lake in the MLS. Tell us what it was like, Diego, playing in the MLS during this developmental period for the league. We know that it was very much just on the precipice of of really taking off because two years uh, after your spell at Real Salt Lake, we saw David Beckham sign with LA Galaxy. So um, a real interesting period. Obviously, the league was expanding rapidly, really hotting up uh, during the time that you played in the MLS. Tell us all about that. Yeah, I mean, it's... Looking back, everything was great. You know, I had I had great experiences with all the clubs that I played for. But I must say that um, it wasn't. You know, we we call it a professional league, but the players not are not making professional money. Okay. You know, the structure of the club is not very professional. Um, you know, the 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 number of staff that works for the club, it's not really there. You know, when when you compare Europe to, you know, North America and even Australia, when I, when the time that I was there, we call ourselves professional, but the money is not there to uh, to make it professional, right? So, in essence, you're still kind of swimming uh, on your own. You know, you have uh, you have to have the awareness of man. You know, if the if the if the club is not helping me. I have to be doing things on my own. And, and so, so that's what happens with, with a lot of players, with most players that, that were put in that situation. Because when you have uh, one personal trainer looking at 25 players 
when you have one doctor looking at 25 players, are they really, you know, making you better physically or are they just kind of patching what's, you know, what needs to be patched? So um, it, it was it was the beginning of the MLS. Uh, and again, it, it wasn't as professional as, as it should be. It, it was just starting. The money wasn't there. You know, the, so it's, it's, it, I can look back and I can say, man, you know, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a little bit of a frustration for, for most players, but it is what it is. You know, I can't, uh, I can't be a victim and, and, and point fingers of, you know, the club should have been better. The money should have been there. Uh, we all have to be responsible for, for our own actions. Uh, we often draw parallels between uh, the football stories of the US and Australia, uh, obviously being dominated by other sports in both countries traditionally. Um, could you see as a Brazilian uh, that football was going to become, uh, you know, a part of that mainstream conversation eventually like it now is in America back when you were playing in the MLS some 15 years ago, was it evident then that, you know, it was a sleeping giant uh, type of thing, uh, the game over there? Yeah, I could because, uh, you know, America is so multicultural and there's, there's, you know, the, the Hispanic population is, is really growing. Um, You know, a lot of, a lot of the people that were living here came from Europe as well. So, um, it was always the interest was always here, and it was always it was always going to catch up to the big sports. Um, but obviously, the uh, you know the people running the show with money, you know the ones that had interest with in football or basketball, did they want soccer to come up? No, they didn't. Right, so so they try to stall that for for as, for as long as they could. But it was it was pretty evident that it was always going to catch up at one point. There you go. Uh, very very fascinating. Uh, moving forward to this uh, sort of bizarrely random period of time, Diego. I have to say, um, I, I do remember it quite fondly still. Uh, the Miami FC days, obviously playing with Romario, who we'll get to later on. Uh, it, again, it all seemed very random for Adelaide fans. Suddenly, we were just completely inundated with this club in America playing uh, in the North American Soccer League, I believe it was called back then. Um, we see Miami come to Adelaide. Uh, you played two games here, two friendlies. Uh, and uh, it all seemed to be gathering a lot of steam. Uh, I'll ask you about how the actual uh, official side of things went down with you being signed to the club uh, in a very short amount of time. But just firstly, talk to us about what the Miami setup was like playing in that league uh, and the quality of what that league was like and how it came that you a you and a former World Footballer of the Year in Romario were now just all of a sudden playing alongside one another. Um, it's, it's quite extraordinary, really, to reflect on. Yeah, it was... Uh... At the time, I had I had my stint with the MLS. I had gone through three different clubs and um, was really, uh, you know, looking back on my career, you know, the difficult thing that I had was always the injuries. You know, it's um, mentally I was there, The you know, technically even more so. 
but what, what kept holding me back was, were the injuries. And uh, um, I was, I was, I had been raised in Miami when I had come to the United States. And um, there was, I, I, I received an offer to play in the second division to come back home. And, and one of the things that, that enticed me to come back was, was Romario and Zinho, uh, they were going to be on that side. So um, I, I took the offer to just, you know, it was just kind of kind of too good to be true. The money was actually even better than the teams that I played for in the MLS. Um, so everything just, just looked great. And we, it, was, it was the first team, it was the first year as a club for the Miami FC side. And we had, a, we had a really good season. We played some beautiful football, some beautiful soccer. Uh, had really an amazing year. And, and I guess from, from there, you know, there, it came about the partnership with Miami FC and Adelaide United. And, and that's how Romario came about. As soon as the season finished over there, Romario was offered, um, I think it was a four or five stint game with, with the Reds. Yeah. Yeah. It was four with the Reds. And the, the conversation that I kept hearing was that, you know, some players from, from Adelaide would possibly come to Miami and, and maybe possibly a couple players from Miami would play for Adelaide United. Um, once we got done with those two friendly games in, in Australia, they invited, I believe it was four of us, to, to stay and train with the team. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to, uh, to be offered a contract after two, uh, two or three weeks of training. Uh, Kazi, uh, which I'm very grateful for him, uh, took uh, took an interest in me, offered me a contract, and we we put pen to paper. Yeah, and it's almost come full circle now. Obviously, John Kuzmina's son, Nathan Kuzmina, the CEO of the club. Uh, but uh, yeah, Mel Patswold, who was the chairman at the time, was uh, very much responsible for the sister club partnership between Miami and Adelaide, which saw you arrive here eventually, Diego, and uh, really what a chapter in your life it would become signing for Adelaide United in late 2006. Uh, we'd obviously seen Romaro come here and people can uh, make of that what they will, but uh, it at least very much worked in a marketing sense. No one can dispute that. And uh, an amazing thing it was for this small little club to have a World Cup winner from Brazil playing for the club. But uh, let's talk all about you signing and uh just uh, indoctrinating yourself with South Australian life, obviously, you know, this must have been a sort of strange time for you. You, you weren't that old um, and you'd never been anywhere near here before, really, um, at least, you know, in a career sense. Um, so it must have been a big adjustment to make. Um, so I want to ask you what your impressions were of the city and the club when you first arrived. And uh, obviously, having always played in the Americas prior to coming here, despite the fact that we had Fernando Reck at the time from Brazil, um, who probably could have uh, made life somewhat more smooth for you in terms of that transition. Um, what was it all like? I mean, uh, you know, this is a big step to take for a young man. It was uh, when, when we first came with Miami and we played those two games, I, I absolutely fell in love with the city. It was everything felt so foreign to me. Um, and, and, and the people were really, really friendly and the food was unbelievable. And we went, I remember us going to, 
it might have been Glenelg and the beach was outstanding. So um, it, it really, uh, it, it's just just such an interesting thing because it was almost like a shock. Uh, I, I, I had I had lived in Brazil where, where the people are so friendly and charismatic and, and there's such a sense of community moving to the States where, you know, I'm not, I don't know this at the time. That's something that I don't know, but you know, it's such totally a different culture where it is, it's so materialistic and, you know, people are not as friendly. They're not as nice and everybody's just so into money. So, so when I first landed in, in, uh, in Adelaide, I just completely fell in love with the place and fell in love with the people and, and the culture and uh, learning all about, you know, this, you know, the Italians and the Greeks and the Croatians living there and, and such this melting pot and it's, everything is so cool. So, um, it, you know, I, I was almost like, man, I love Miami and I love South Beach and I love partying with Romario, but I don't want to go back to Miami. I think I want to sign a contract here. So, um, and it was, it was right at the time where, you know, I had played professionally for four or five years. So I was coming, really coming into the peak of my career. And it was, it was something that I was, you know, it was in the back of my mind, it was like, wouldn't it be nice to come onto a new league and really make a name for myself? And, and, and it, it, and it's kind of sort of what happened because looking back on my career, um, you know, and, and the, the two and a half years that were there, we really, really made a big impression, not only in Australia, but, but in Asia as well. So, um, it was it was almost this this manifestation, man. I want to sign here, and I want to kind of start a new chapter for myself. And and looking back, that's what happened. Amazing stuff. I I want to just before we talk about everything that happened here uh, whilst you played in Adelaide, um, the amazing amount of of uh, Brazilians that actually played here with you during your time here. And uh, do you consider that, um, you know, you're quite fortunate to have had that uh, cultural easing, if you like, Um, because obviously, you know, the list is quite endless. Uh, Cassio, Alamau, Cristiano, um, you know, we had our fair share and, uh, and obviously a few Argentinians down the line after as well, but uh, yeah, what what was that like? You must not have anticipated it, um, you know, when you first had uh, the initial thoughts of, of moving here. I, I dare say you never thought that, uh, you know, you'd be in a team with a handful of Brazilians one or two years later. Yeah, I've, I've always been a gypsy at heart, and I love really <laughs> love, I love traveling and and getting to know new cultures and and meeting new people. So to me, it wasn't as hard, but it, it you know, having the, those other Brazilian guys there, I remember Fernando was, was really, really kind, such a special person, really made me feel at home, um, you know, was there for anything that I needed. And then, you know, and, and I guess I was kind of the same in terms of Alemão and Cristiano. Cristiano had played in Europe, but I think Alemão was the first time he left Brazil, so it was nice to have that community, you know, to have Casio, to have Alemão and Cristiano. And we were, we were meeting, you know, on a weekly basis, having dinners, you know, going to different places. So it, it, it makes it easy for, for all of us, you know, uh, 
Could you imagine, you know, if Alemão comes over and there's no Brazilian on the team, everything is so foreign, new language, new culture. It, it could, and it happens a lot. It could, it could really take a toll on the mental side. And, um, but having those guys around really made it easier. Spectacular. Uh, we're going to talk all about it now, Diego. The time has come. Let's lift the lid on uh, this amazing period that you had in Adelaide. Uh, despite many labelling your stint here in Adelaide as having been injury-plagued, uh, which which isn't untrue, uh, you were a player that really shone in Adelaide's midfield on your day and gave us some truly terrific memories and highlights during what was such an unforgettable era for the club. Uh, so after the 2006-07 season, you went on to play 16 matches in the following 2007-08 season, scoring one goal. Uh, it was a real hard year for us, the first of Aurelio Vidmar's coaching reign. Uh, I know I'm taking you back a fair while here, but uh, what are your memories from this season in which, unfortunately, we failed to make the playoffs for our first time as a club in the A-League? Yeah, the the first year was uh, was an interesting one. You know, Vidi came in, uh, different coach, couple, a couple of changes. So I think he must have, if I if I can recall, I think it was was Vidi's first year as a as a professional coach. Yep. So it was always it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, it wasn't going to be easy. I, I remember uh, getting injured quite a few times and not having the best season, uh, which I was really you know not pleased about. So. Looking back at that first year, um, you know, I think things kind of reflect what what kind of went on. You know, there was a there was a change in, in the coaching um, and a couple new players. So, um, but but once once Vidi got things going and and a couple of new good signing, I remember Ogunovsky came on uh, the the following year and really kind of solidified the back with Ange uh, and even Mickey at the time, Volcanas. Um, you know, we, we got things going and that, and I remember that second year was, was when, when really things started to, to go, go for us. Uh, that, that there is an understatement, uh, obviously, um, an amazing year it was, but, uh, in that, back in that 07, 08 season, were, were the building blocks being put in place? I mean, was there some semblance that you could take out of that year to suggest that, uh, we would go on and achieve, such amazing things the year after um you know it's it's uh the 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 building blocks were there you know the it was and even the players when 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 the year before the players were uh, the building blocks were there the players were there whether you know the the results didn't come the way that we wanted uh the building blocks were there the players were there and and the spirit of the team was there. You know, that's something that I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit more about. Um, that's one of the most important things, you know. So whether the, the results didn't reflect what was going on in the locker room, uh, it was still, you could see that something was, was about to happen. Very, very interesting. Uh, we are going to now talk about that amazing season that we had uh, during what was just an absolute peak period of time to be supporting this football club. Um, so fast forwarding, fast forwarding to the amazing 2008-09 season of our Asian Odyssey and FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, before I ask you about that incredible moment in 2008 against uh, Bunyodkor, playing in Asia really ignited your Adelaide career, some might suggest, Diego. Uh, you scored four goals for us 
in that Asian Champions League campaign and you were probably our best player throughout that group stage period. Uh, would it be fair to say that this was around the mark that we saw the very best of Diego Walsh as Adelaide United fans? I, I think that would be true. Um, and I, if, if you, you know, when, when looking at those games, even, even in the A-League games, when the times that I was fit, you know, you could see, uh, you know, and I, I hate talking about myself, but, I was I was a different type of player, just like Marcos Flores. You know, you need players that that can move the game. You know, that can make the game flow. And and the times where I was kind of hitting my peak and and fit. You know, any 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 time I played, whether we we won or we, whether we lost or tied the game, you could see that. You know, because of maybe because I was playing, there it was a it was a different sort of game. You know, because I, you know, I under I understood when to slow the game down. I understood when we had to push. You know, a lot of the times that the games, you know, the the game was going through me. You know, through the midfield. So, um, just going back to your question, I think I think yes, that was uh, you know, and I and I wish I could have sustained that a little bit longer. Um, but it's just something that um, the physical part of the game wasn't wasn't. Uh, didn't help me at all you know I was it was just yeah uh, too many injuries um, looking back my body uh, was actually never fit to play to play a full season you know my totally the my hip belt the hamstring the glutes the lower back everything was pretty locked and it was it was something that with awareness with uh, a team around me that's something that I could have uh that I could have worked on, and and it, it really could have been a really difference maker in my career. But it just is what it is. Uh, yeah, and add uh, you know hard surfaces and hot weather to that equation. Uh, it's not easy for any import, but uh, nevertheless, you should never have regrets, Diego, because uh, you really had a magical time here in Adelaide. And we do now need to reflect on that. Um, that 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 incredible. We'll start with uh, the Bunyod call moment because um, you know what a spine chilling moment this was. Um, this this is truly a moment that. Uh, Everyone will remember, even even if they don't really associate themselves with Adelaide United anymore. A anyone that's ever been on the ride with this club will always reflect on on this incredible moment because uh, it's really the moment where we went from uh, you know almost skeptics in a way, thinking that we were just uh, biding our luck and and getting getting fortunate and uh, you know nowhere near uh, worthy of being where we were uh to actually believing that uh you know we really were the real deal and and we could pull off this a mass this massive massive uh underdog story um but uh nevertheless i'll i'll bring you back a few steps uh the big draw card uh heading into the game on october the 8th 2008 was uh rivaldo barcelona legend and brazilian world cup winner coming here uh, in the twilight of his career. Uh, but it was another Brazilian who stole the headlines that night, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Diego, it was just a, a truly uh, a amazing moment. Um, no one will ever forget it. Uh, an amazing goal and a very well-taken finish. Uh, it just absolutely zapped 
all the tension right out of the stadium when the ball hit the back of the net. And uh, we really went on to to, to boss Bunyod Corp because uh, those that were there that night, and I'm sure those who are watching will remember uh, that we, we probably were not uh, the best team on the park over the course of that first half. And uh, it seemed like we needed a moment like this, just just a moment of individual brilliance uh, and incredible improvisation, which you showed. Uh, and as soon as uh, you scored that first goal, the, the belief was just clearly there. We, we went on to, to score another two and um, set ourselves up brilliantly for that second leg tie. So take us back... Uh, once you've you've sort of chested that ball down, just what was going through your mind? Um, do do you remember the sort of immediate buzz after, and you know what you did and who ran straight to you? I mean, just peak memories. I mean, you know, everyone will always talk about the club winning its first A League championship as number one, but for me, this season really is a close second. And and for me, given the the magnitude of what we achieved, I think it's almost you know, comparable in a, in a way. But uh, tell us, that goal, um, just incredible scenes. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful the way you summarize the, the whole thing. And uh, when I scored the goal, it, it just kind of seemed like, like time really slowed down. I just remember the ball just kind of coming across and it just, everything just seems like it was taken. The ball was taken forever to come down. And then I chested the ball and it felt like there was like five seconds in between I saw the ball taking a bounce. It really it dropped to the ground. I see a defender coming through. So if, to me, it felt like 10 seconds, but it was really just a matter, a matter of seconds. I, you know, I, and I even remember there was an awkward angle, and I actually think I used my, my forearm instead of my chest. I think if you, if you look at the camera from behind, I might have used a little bit of the arm. But it just felt like, like time, you know, really, there was no time. You know, there was no time. It, it, I was not in time. And, but, but beautiful moments. Uh, it was, you know, the, the excitement, you know, the, the, the stadium pretty much just erupted. And, and what, a, what a nice feeling. It was just the most amazing moment in my, in my soccer career, no doubt. Um, but also, you know, going back to what you were saying, um, you know, what, what is – that moment or, or that, or even that season, what's so special about it is, is um, how, the, how, how all the players just, just really loved each other. You know, it's for, for, some, for a team to, to, uh, to do as well as we did, it, it doesn't, it's not just, you know, 20 good players on the park. You have to go beyond, um, you have to go beyond the skills and and the players really have to care for each other. That's um, that's what's really needed uh, for a team to to really be successful. And then that's with a soccer team. That's with a family. That's with a, any business, right? We have to care about each other. And that's that's um, that moment was just the culmination of of what uh, how special the year was for all of us because we really did care about each other. And that's that was the that's what that's what took us over the edge. Beautifully said, Diego. And uh, 
you know, competing on three fronts, making it to the A-League Grand Final, which unfortunately we lost. And unfortunately for you, a, a second Grand Final loss as an Adelaide United player um, must still pain you to this day that uh, we never got over that hurdle back in that time because we definitely deserved one um, at least. But um, no, nevertheless, such, such an incredible period of time, that 2008-09 season, Club World Cup as well. Um, you very much at the peak of your powers in our midfield. I just want to talk about, um, you know, can you specify the role you had? Uh, obviously, we had Paul Reed in that midfield too, um, and and such a good team as well as you've highlighted. But uh, what what were the specificities regarding your role? Because obviously, an attacking midfielder with flair. How did Aurelio want you to function in this team? Um, I think. The role was more of a, of a box-to-box uh, player, you know, somebody somebody that could really link up the, the defense to to the to the forwards, and and Paul Reed did an amazing job in there. Uh, Jonas Sally did an amazing job as as a as a defensive midfielder there. Fabian Barbiero was there too. So um, it was it was just. It was just a good understanding, you know, amongst all of us. You know, we, I can, I can, you know, I can look back at me and say I was doing really nice things, but it was there was a really good understanding amongst all of us. Uh, we we used to play with a little triangle in the middle, whether whether we had one defensive mid and two attacking mids, or two defensive mids and one attacking mid. We used to switch that, um, you know, according to the to the teams that we were playing against, and I and. Throughout my career, it was I was actually a number ten in college back in the United States, a really a true number ten where I wouldn't even come back to defend. And and as uh, in my professional career, I, I ended up becoming more of an eight, and and that was that was my role, and you know, dictating the game a little bit, slowing the game down when it needed to be slowed down. Uh, but but looking back, it was just a really good understanding of all the players that that were playing in, in that triangle in the middle. Um, I just want to ask, uh, of, of all the memories that you have, uh, obviously, you know, we're aware of the the outstanding ones, but um, what what really, uh, you know, on and off the park uh, has always stuck with you from your time here? Um, you know, from the moment that I, that I landed in Adelaide, it was everybody... Just really, really welcomed me with with open arms, and uh, I just remember barely having signed for for the club. Uh, Dario Fontana Rosa, you know, said, "Diego, man, I'm having I'm having dinner. I'm having a Christmas dinner at my house. Come have come have Christmas with my family." And then that's something that that I'm I'm never gonna forget. You know, the hospitality from from everybody in the club, the fans. Uh, the people, um, it was, it was, it was almost like a dream because it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. It's, it's not, it's, it's never like that. And so off the field, it was wonderful. Everywhere I went, it was just smiley faces. People were being really nice. And also, um, on the field, like I said before, uh, we were good, not because we had, 20 good soccer players we were good because there are 20 really good people there that really cared about each other you know going back to 
you know, you were you, you were mentioning against uh, Unyet Core that you know that you know, and a lot of coaches they say the same thing. You know, the game games are 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 won by by moment. There's moments in the game where you win the game, but when once you go deep in those moments, you realize that it's not really the moments. It's not because I stepped up and I scored the goal. It's more of the collective will of the team that really outpowers maybe the other team's collective will. They gave up and we stepped up. So if you go beyond what's really, you can really go beyond, look at a game and say, man, it's not really moments in the game. It's there's a collective effort. There's a collective will that we can't see that one team outpowers the other one. And that's when, the, that's when games are won and games are lost. So for most of, and I think uh, looking at our, at our record that year, a lot of the games were, were 2-1, 1-0. They were tight games. But because we had that belief and because we had that, that understanding and that love towards each other, that's how most, most of the games were won. There you go, folks. Uh, always amazing to have a past player reflect on that era. And uh, Diego has done it with such an amazing level of articulation today. And uh, it's just brilliant to go back and, and revisit that era. Um, so Diego, after being with us uh, on the ride for that amazing 2008-09 campaign, in which, uh, like we just outlined, competing on three separate fronts, uh, eventually also making it to the A-League Grand Final and losing, sadly. Uh, the decision was made by the club to let you go. Now, I recall uh, Aurelio Vidmar coming out in a press conference on the 6pm news and trying to justify the decision by saying that, uh, you know, as good as you were, you'd, you'd only been available 50% of the time. Um, some people did agree with the reasoning, uh, but I would suggest... Uh, that just because you had a track record of, of going down with injuries, it didn't necessarily mean that it would be a trend going forward, uh, considering that you'd had time now to adjust to uh, the A-League and, and life in Australia. I would, I would, uh, you know, I, I would suggest that you would have made the, the correct amendments and, and done everything you could have possibly have done to, uh, to stay as healthy as you could. Uh, but Football works in funny ways, as they say, Diego, and for you, this was a real sliding doors moment, uh, given, that, given that in all honesty, uh, you probably left a sinking ship. Uh, we went on to win our first ever wooden spoon while you went on to join Wellington Phoenix, and they qualified for their first ever playoffs as a club in the A-League. Um, talk to us about your time in New Zealand. Yeah, it, it's not easy... Uh... And I'll talk a little bit about Vidi as well. It's not easy being a coach, such a young coach. And, and I have nothing but good things to say about Vidi. I think, I think he's, he's an outstanding person and he's an outstanding coach. But uh, once, once you, you have a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, once you have a little bit of success, you know, you can get a little bit greedy. And, and by, you know, by letting go of some key players that season, you know, all of a sudden, you go to the bottom of the league. So going back to what I was saying, it's, it's you know, building a team. It, it's not about, you know, chopping three or four players and then bringing in four good players. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You know, the root of the team was there. You know, there, we had some outstanding players. And if you would have kept, you know, that, that team together, that's something that, you know, for the next two or three years, man, you would have just kind of, gotten better and better 
Now, did it get better? Of course, they brought Marcos Flores in, they brought different players, and and it got better as well. But you can't just you know chop down a team and and go grab a couple three a couple of players there, and and things are going to stay the same. So, um, and just on that, we we recruited quite. Uh, poorly in that next season, uh, you, uh, you know, you might not agree, but um, given the exodus we had, uh, we certainly didn't have the same quality coming in. So um, I would suggest to really Vidmar probably regret some of the decisions he made uh, in that off season, but that's for another day. Um, back on to, to what you were saying. Sorry to interrupt. Right. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I felt like I really, I was, I was on the top of my, my game. I was on the top of my career, whether I had injuries or not, whether the club, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I would have loved to stay one extra year, you know, mm-hmm. with some conditions and, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't so. So I, I moved on to Wellington, which I honestly didn't fit in with the style of play that they were playing. So I actually had a couple of miserable years there. Um, and, and, and so, so life continues. And after my stint with Wellington, I ended up going to Thailand for a couple seasons with uh, with the middle of the table club, which was TOT, and and I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, played really well, uh, scored a ton of goals. Really enjoyed myself, um, and that that was pretty much the end of it. Um, uh, yeah, j- j- just on Wellington, you you made some interesting comments. Uh, R- Ricky Herbert, uh, never known for being a uh, progressive manager, if you will. Um, you went on to say that, uh, and it's a very important point that you made, um, because I feel like many, many, many uh, flair players will uh, identify with what you said. Uh, you, you basically sort of uh, expressed the fact that this was a team that knew how to work hard. There was a, a clear eth- work ethic within the team to, um, you know, to be hard at beating, uh, but not a team that was set up to really do anything with the ball. And uh Obviously, still a club that recruited heavily from South America. So those two never really aligned in terms of the facets uh, on show. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, was was Wellington? Was it a case of Wellington being the only suitor in for you um, when your time ended in Adelaide? Or there must have been some kind of draw card. I know they had some Brazilians at the time as well. Um, so so talk to us. Uh, why was it Wellington? Yeah, it was, I, was, I was very close to signing in Korea. There was a couple of Korean teams that were interested because of the success that we had in the A-League. And I was really hopeful to go to Korea. Uh, those offers didn't come through. Uh, the other offer, I was, I was about to actually sign with, with Sydney. And, and uh, I had an offer on the table with, with, from Kazi. And uh, uh, this was the offer had been made, but the, pe- the paperwork hadn't been done. And it turns out that Kazi uh, got fired or they, they let him go in the midst of, of the, the discussions. So what was left in the A-League was, was Wellington or even right. Perth. I think I was, I was talking to Perth at the time. But well, Wellington really came in and they really, you know, made a really good offer that I couldn't, that I couldn't say no. Unfortunately, um, I had, we, we started the season, I had a stomach bug and I can, I can start, you know, I can go on and, and become a victim on, on this subject. But uh, I really didn't start this season well. And I had a really, really bad game. I remember we were playing away in Sydney and I really had a, a miserable game. And, and from there on, 
the coach gives up on you. And okay. when the coach gives up on you, then, then you're done. Then you're done. So it was, uh, you know, I had signed a two-year contract. And, you know, the very beginning of my first season, the coach, when the coach doesn't believe in you, the coach doesn't believe in you, you're out the door. So there were already negotiations. I think it was, it was in the middle of my first year there. We were already talking about, uh, you know, ripping up the contract and, and me moving away. It just turned out that I didn't have any offers. Okay. So I just decided to stay with the club for, 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 the, for the two years being that I was there. And then once, once, the, once that was over, I decided to go and, and go play, try to play in Asia because I really enjoyed Asia. And, and that's when I uh, found a club in Thailand. Um, such a shame. Did, did you uh, adjust well at all to life in Wellington as a city? Well, because everyone talks a lot about uh, how good their fans are um, and, and how hospitable their supporter base is, the yellow fever there. Um, were you made to feel quite welcome despite uh, having a hard time of it on the pitch? I was, yeah, nothing. It's Wellington was, was an amazing place to live. Again, the people were really, really nice. The yellow fever was great. Uh, my teammates were great. You know, I got along with everyone. Um, actually, the team, we did really well that season. It was the first time we made it to the playoffs. So, again, going back to what I was saying, uh, why it's so important to have players that get along with each other and that care about each other because – that goes a long way. And, and uh, besides uh, not being in with the coaches and, and, and having an, a really awful time on the pitch, everything else was, was fantastic. Brilliant stuff, Diego. We will move on to uh, the next chapter in your career. So you've already outlined it. Uh, but uh, moving away from Australia, uh, first returning to the U.S. to play with the Charleston Battery in uh, the USL. Um, talk to us about that, and then we'll get on to talking about your time in Thailand. Yeah, I, we at the time I was uh, dating Heston and uh, my partner at the time, and she was she was pregnant. Uh, she got pregnant, so we decided to come back. She's a, she's Australian American, and we decided to go back to the states uh, to our home base. And at the time, uh, second division team offered me a contract. And I remember putting a clause on the contract that if I received any other, any other offers from overseas, they were going to have to let me go. Okay. And uh, so something, something came about in Thailand, and I, I believe I only played four games for Charleston. And once that offer came in, you know, we packed our bags and, and moved to Thailand when I, had, when, I had a, when I played two seasons for, for TOT. And um, it was at the time... It was a middle of the table club. Uh, the TOT is actually it was the the phone company of Thailand. Okay. So, um, and you know, really small club, small amount of fans, but uh, we had a, a pretty decent little team, and and we did well for two seasons. I believe I, I must have scored, I think, fourteen goals in two seasons. So it was it was a really nice time. Uh, obviously, the style of the game suited me really well in Thailand. It was it was very hot, very humid, uh, but not very physical. So, uh, a lot of technical players, but but the pace of the game wasn't as fast. Um, 
at the time I was already getting into my thirties. I think I was 32, 33 at the time. So it was, it was, uh, it seemed very easy to play there. I could, I could have stayed there for another five or six years, but decided to, to hang the boots. Yeah. And on that, um, you, you did, uh, close the door on your professional career. Um, still at an age where, where you could have played on as you just outlined, uh, and we do see it's becoming more and more commonplace that players play into their late thirties. Um, was it a mixture of uh, having sort of just uh, gotten over having to uh, always be conditioned um, and, and uh, you know, having a few troubles with injuries along the way? Uh, was it a mixture of that and, and just deciding to, to settle down or um, was it forced? Uh, tell us why you arrived at that decision. Yeah, I was, I was 33, and um, it was it was a mixture of things because I, again, it was it felt like, you know, I had two really good seasons with this team, scoring a lot of goals. So the bigger clubs in Thailand were actually looking at me, trying to make me an offer. And and two, I think there was two or three games left in the season where I had done my 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 ACL in my knee. So. Um, and that really got to me. Uh, it, well, I was 33. At, I was 33, uh, an ACL injury, I think it, six, six to nine months. Um, and I had, uh, Heston had returned home to, to, to the States with my son. My son was barely one. And I just decided to, uh, it was time. It was a mixture of emotions. The knee, I was away from my son and I was like, cool. I, you know, I had a, I had a good run. I really enjoyed myself the past 10 years, you know, played in the States, played in Australia, played in New Zealand, played in Thailand. I thought it was, it was the, it was the right time to, to give it up. Well, when one door closes, another opens and you did uh, enter the coaching ranks very soon after hanging your boots up. So, uh, you'd been a coach in the U S uh, for a number of years, uh, Diego, uh, Tell us what your coaching journey has been like and uh, where do you see it one day uh, per- perhaps maybe taking you? Yeah, I, I started um, I was I started coaching high school in, in Charleston. So I had recently moved back, started coaching high school for one year, teaching high school at the time and, um, you know, making a living from, from being a teacher. And it was something that I... It was it was a huge shift, a huge difference to go from a professional soccer player where I'm, you know, just training in the morning, taking care of myself, taking some good naps, eating some good food, traveling all the time. And then all of a sudden I was locked in a classroom, you know, from 7 a.m. till 4 p.m. And they're having to do things after work, stay at the school. So pretty much all day at the school, coaching the team. And after one year, I was really burned out. And I, and I said, I can't, I really can't do this. Uh, so started looking around for coaching opportunities. Uh, landed in Phoenix at Grand Canyon University. They're, uh, they were recently just been promoted uh, into Division One in the NCAA. Came over here, started coaching with my, uh, with my ex-coach. Uh, he had been my coach at SMU when I was playing college. So was here for a couple of years, uh, enjoyed myself, um, 
and then I got an offer to to coach youth, to coach at a at a youth club here in Phoenix. It was going to be a lot more money, a lot less traveling, uh, coaching coaching younger kids, and I decided to take that on. So for the past five years, that's what I've been doing, just really coaching, coaching, coaching teams, uh, coaching young men, and it's it's been it's been great. It's uh, anytime I'm, I'm around uh, soccer players, soccer ball, I'm, I'm around the game. I really enjoy myself, but um, but it can really take a toll on you because it's it's you're away from your family for a long for a long period of time and. Um, with COVID, that's that's kind of what my experience was to realize how much of my time, you know, I was out, you know, hanging out with others, coaching others, giving my time to others, and not really being here with my family. Um, I have a, a little girl who's, who's going to turn three. She's going to turn three. And uh, so recently... Uh, in, in December, I, I actually kind of let go of, of that title, of that role of being a coach, just to be home a little bit more and be with my family. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a good ride. It's been, you know, I, uh, it's nice that, that the sport has always given me my livelihood. You know, I was always able to make money from, from the game and always feeling safe about it. Uh, yeah. It's also nice to let that identity go because who I am, you know, I'm not Diego, the soccer player. I'm not Diego, the soccer coach. You know, I am, I'm just Diego. And uh, so it's nice to let that go and, uh, and to be able to, to find happiness, you know, with not doing anything and, and to create abundance, to create money from doing other things as well. So um, yeah, it's been a good ride. Quite inspiring and uh, definitely a decision everyone will respect. Uh, no question when it comes to family. Family is always first. Uh, Diego, just I feel the need to ask you, uh, it's a very unique landscape in the States. Obviously, in Australia, we're used to the grassroots pathways being all about the federation system for young players. Very different in America, all about the university system. No one better to talk about it than uh, than with you who's been there and lived it. Um what is that like? Uh, obviously, completely different to what we know here. Um, players very much. Uh, is it still a case of of players being identified most through uh, playing for a university and then being picked through that system to uh, to earn a contract in the MLS if they're good enough? Is is it still that way in the states? And and, and what's that whole uh, kind of system like? I mean. Uh, like I said, very different to what we're used to here. So all about the universities in America. Um, talk to us about it. It was, it was, that was, that was definitely the case. Uh, that was the case because if you look at the other sports, if you look at football, if you look at basketball and baseball, they, they, it's a system that's set up to go to the university so that the, the players can get a degree before they move on to, to get professional contracts. So soccer was kind of, we're living in this country and this is how the country was set up to be. All the sports were set up to be that way. So soccer was kind of lumped with that. So at the time when I was playing, uh, when I was growing up here, it was the case for most players. You know, we went to the university, we, we did our three or four years, we got our degrees and then we moved on to the professional contract. 
but now it's 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 been changing and it's been it's been a, a big change actually so um they introduced the uh, the academy system here where a lot of the mls teams they have their academy system uh underneath them and then other clubs you know other clubs around the us around the us they also have the academy system so that academy system is is highly competitive it's and it's gotten better and better so as you can see now there's a lot of youth good youth players coming out of of the american system moving on to the national team so the the us federation has put quite a lot of money uh into the infrastructure into developing younger players so it it's actually changing and it has evolved so it's it's nowadays uh the, the really good players, they're not even looking at the university pathway anymore. They're actually just l- looking into signing directly with the MLS or moving on to Europe. So uh, it, it's, it's something has, that has been changing and ha- has been evolving over time. And, uh, and you can see it's, it's getting better. It's getting better and better. And just one out of left field, uh, there's talk uh, very recently coming out of America that uh, the MLS and uh, the Liga MX, um, which is actually for people that don't know, and this took me by surprise, um, massively watched league. Um, We know there's a huge Hispanic population in the States, but a lot of people watch the Mexican league. There's talk that uh, if there's an amalgamation between the Belgian and uh, Eredivisie League in Europe, that uh, the US Federation and the Mexican Federation would look to do something similar. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this because it's a polarizing issue. There's a lot of talk that COVID's going to make everything go this way and we're going to have these super leagues set up throughout the world. Uh, I don't know about it, but uh, you're on the ground there. What's your opinion on that? I think that'd be difficult, very difficult, because uh, it's again the, the states is just a huge country, and it just takes such a toll. The traveling really takes a toll on you. I remember playing the MLS, and and uh, they play right through the summer, so not only are you traveling, but you know when you go to Dallas, when you go to Houston, Miami, you're playing in you know forty degree weather with humidity, so. Uh, it really, really takes a toll on your body. And if you're going to add, you know, now another country uh, with a different language, different culture, you know, and, and, you know, it's even, even more South, hotter, I think it's only going to get more difficult. I could see, you know, something along those lines of, of perhaps uh, a cup uh, that's being played every year amongst both nations, but uh you know, in, in terms of the logistics, it would be very hard to, to get it done. And uh, I think I can speak on behalf of many to say that we hope uh, you're right and uh, common sense prevails. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Diego Walsh off the pitch. Uh, what what does the life of Diego look like now? We, we know you've You've got a young family there um, and we know you've uh, just very recently left your coaching position. Um, so tell us uh, what's life looking like for you now, just on a personal front and uh, where do you see yourself in a handful of years from now? Great question, Alice. Um, I think with, with COVID, a lot, a lot has changed and, and with COVID is brought, it has brought a lot of insights 
into into our lives. You know, the biggest insight that I had was uh, once everything was shut down and locked down and I was able to, and I had to stay at home with my family, you know, I actually realized how much of, uh, how much of my mind was actually living in the future. And uh, so as I'm sitting at home with my, with my wife and daughter, I'm actually just thinking about, oh, what am I going to do this weekend? When am I going to travel again? And it's really made me realize uh, that, you know, I wasn't really living in the present moment. You know, I was actually just living for the future. And, uh, you know, with, with that insight, it's, it's made me, uh, you know, kind of question a lot of the things, how I was living. And, and um, so it, it really brought, you know, a lot of, of good awareness into my life. Uh, to a point, to the point that I decided to let my to let go of of my job as a coach, just to be even more at home with with my family, um, and this awareness just just keeps growing. It was more it was it was more of a, a spiritual awakening, if you will, um, and and um, I, I guess with with more awareness, everything everything becomes more clear. You know, we, you, you really start to see the world from, from a different light. Uh, so nowadays, the, you know, my, my days are really simple. I just, I like to, to stay home and, and spend every chance that I get next to my daughter, uh, next to my wife. Uh, really no plans of, of what I'm going to do next. Uh, just kind of letting the universe, uh, you know, tell me what's going to happen. Just kind of trusting the universe instead of, of expecting something, you know, trying to control what's going to happen in my life, but rather, you know, uh, be here in the present moment, enjoying what is, and really, uh, yeah, just really, really let this this amazing life dictate what's next. While you're looking uh, as relaxed as ever, and you've got plenty of time in your hands whilst the world figures out a way to get these vaccines rolled out, uh, Diego, I want to. I uh, just conclude by asking you, uh, you know, your connections uh, to Adelaide United in the present. You've got a son uh, still living in Adelaide, which uh, I would speculate many people would not know. Um, you've told me that uh, you come here, you come back here quite regularly as often as you can over, over the years. Um, presumably that will continue when uh, you're able to get back on a plane, Diego. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And I guess really my plan would be to live if if and if I can in the future kind of live six months there in, in Adelaide close to him and then come back and live and live six months here. It's uh you know, I miss my son very dearly and, and his brother as well, you know, Atlas and Penn. And uh that would be in my ideal world that that that's what I would like to do. You know, obviously I still keep in contact with, with all the wonderful people there, you know, Mel Patswald that, that brought me to the club and, and Dario, um, all the ex players that, that live in Adelaide. I still keep in touch with, with most of them. So, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, and I'm sure that's going to happen in the near future. Is your son a bowler? He is. He actually, he's, he's a really good player. He's only nine years old and, and I hear he's, he's, uh, he's, he's scoring a lot of goals and getting a lot of assists. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he wears the, 
the red the reds jersey one day that'd be wonderful that would be a special thing we've only had uh, one father son story so far in our in our time so uh that would be amazing uh diego walsh it's been an absolute privilege and an ultra fan favorite from uh your playing days here in in adelaide and uh uh, some special memories you generated for uh, the lifelong fan of the club, Diego. Uh, it's so refreshing to see you uh, now taking this different outlook on life. Uh, you look like, uh, you know, you really have uh, uh, become quite spiritual and, um, you know, really expanding your, your outlook on life. It's um, it's a really fascinating story you have. Uh, you know, you've played in all corners of the world and, you um, to get a, a further insight on uh, how it all came about and what it was like uh, is just an absolute treat uh, for people like myself, Diego. So we wish you and your family uh, all, all the very best. Uh, make sure you stay safe there in the United States. And uh, we can only hope that uh, we'll be seeing some of you when uh, borders open again, Diego. So uh, we very much look forward to the day where... Uh, we see you on the big screen sitting in Cooper's Stadium. Hopefully it's not too far away. Thank you, Alice. I really, really appreciate you. Appreciate the time and the space that, that you provided. Um, anytime I, I talk about the Reds in, in any sense, it really brings me a lot of, a lot of joy. So, uh, yeah, please keep in touch. And when you come to the States, come visit, come visit me in Arizona. I'm going to take you up on that. Diego Walsh, thank you so much. Thank you guys for watching and thank you to our sponsors, Soccer Locker in Finden. Uh, we'll see you next time, guys, and go the Reds.